Thank you, Brother Dan. The title of our study this morning is The Very Word of God, and I'd like for you to let that sink into your mind for a little while because I think it's so important to understand that this book we have is not just a book. It is the very Word of God. Our family theme today is to continue in truth. Our objective is to learn and to live out God's Word. Now, by the way, just real quick, if we're going to live out God's Word, we must know what? We must know what God's Word is, okay? We're to learn it and to live it out. We'll be in 2 Timothy chapter 3 this morning. We're going to, our lesson presents two key truths. First one is, the days leading up to Christ's return will be difficult because of people's sin. Number two, key truth. As believers, we trust God's inspired word and we follow godly examples. Under our Bible basics, uh, the question we're asking this morning is what are the scriptures? What are the scriptures? When we say scripture, what are we talking about? Okay, the Bible. Now, Wayne, I can't let you get off that easy. You're right, it's the Bible. But wouldn't you agree we can use it interchangeably, the Bible and the Scriptures? But what makes them unique? Say what? What do you mean by that, Dan? Amen. And that's, under, that's what they are. It's breathed out by God. Now, we'll, that's part of our study later on, toward the end of our study this morning. But let me remind you. It's not breathed on, it's breathed out. And, you know, they, they spoke as they were directed by God, and he breathed out what he wanted them to write. Okay, that's why God's Word and its original uh, manuscripts are without error. God's Word was breathed out, and it is God's Word. Inspired, inerrant message of God. Now, by the way, if the Bible says it, what can you count on? Say it again. What do you mean, Cheryl? It's true. Bible says a lot of things. Yeah, I was uh, saw a headline yesterday uh, on uh, the news on the internet, and you see it every few years. They think they found part of Noah's Ark, and I, I had to laugh at some of the comments. You know, uh, people saying, "Well, it can't be true. No way it could happen." Uh, blah blah blah. But if God's word says it happened, guess what? It happened. It did happen. Jesus in the, in his, in the priestly prayer in John 17, he tells, he prays for us that God would sanctify us through truth. And Jesus said, your word is truth. Folks, we can count on God's word and what we have here, the scriptures, the Bible, as Wayne said, without a doubt, it is the very word of God. And let me remind you, even in the Old Testament, now, and, and by the way, when Timothy wrote, or when Paul wrote this to Timothy, he was speaking primarily of the Old Testament because the New Testament wasn't done yet. But also understand it does include the New Testament. Well, this lesson again, like last week, uh, it's, it's the second letter Paul is writing to this young pastor, probably around A.D. 64 to 65, and again, uh, this is the second time Paul's been in prison, so he's writing under house arrest. Under our get started this morning, uh, the question I want to ask this morning is, 
what are some of the sins that people do? Well, I guess all the sins, but what are some of the problems that sin causes in our world? Okay, but we just fall away from God. Now, does, it, does sin cause problems for sinners? Sure it does, okay? Now, they're not, they're not Christian, but for us, it moves us farther from God. But what are some specific problems that are a direct result of sin? Do you want? They, they don't want to hear that, do they? No. But it's a direct result. Alcoholism? Exactly. All of these things. Now, again, we know that it affects the person involved in whatever it might be. Does it affect those around them? Sure it does. So sin does. Uh, it affects our world. It affects ourselves. And even as Christians, we need to avoid it. Like you said, Ned, Dan, it moves us uh, farther and farther away from God. But a lot of these things in our world are a direct result of sin. Well, 2 Timothy addresses, I think, some very important concerns concerning the last days. Uh, in fact, it's kind of a, a warning or an alarm going off, if you will, announcing, uh, one, let me ask this question, help me out here. According to the Bible now, are things going to get better or are they going to get worse? Then again, they're going to get worse. Doesn't matter what people tell you, they are going to get worse. And that's exactly what chapter 3 of 2 Timothy tells us. The, the, uh, wickedness will be worse. There'll be more false teachers. Um, a lot more persecution for Christians are going to happen. And again, if you're not careful, and make sure we get this correct here today, we, if we're not careful, It'll seem so gloomy, it might cause us to lose hope. But folks, I'm going to tell you, with God there's hope, okay? We cannot give up. So, things are going to get worse, not better. And as Christians, our hope drives us to look to God, stay in His Word, because our redemption is drawing near every day. If God said he's coming back for us, guess what? He's coming back for us. Let's pick it up in 2 Timothy chapter 3. We'll read the first nine verses. We're going to find out the days leading up to the return of Christ will be difficult and difficult because of people's sin. Somebody volunteer and read the first nine verses. Thank you. 
Thank you, Dan. I'm looking at this, and, and as Dan, as you read it, Paul is talking about the last days. How does he know about this? Thank you. God told him. God has revealed this to Paul. And he wants us to understand it's going to get tough. The Bible calls them perilous days. Now, most scholars would agree that the last days began when Christ came to earth in the first century. Uh, the writer of Hebrews talks about how in these days, in these last days, God has speaking through uh, Jesus Christ through his word. In Acts chapter 2, Peter quoted from Joel how that in the last days God would pour spirit on all men. Uh, Peter in 2 Peter chapter 3 talks about in the last days uh, there will be scoffers mocking the truth. And Jude uh, 18 and 19 also reflects the same uh, idea. But the fact of the matter is it began then, and how long will it, is it going to last? Until ah, Jesus comes again. Till Jesus comes again. Dan, well, you read them a while ago. Did you read how many different words he used to describe the last days? But I like that. Nineteen, okay? Now, I didn't count them. Or my, my, my study guide did that. Nineteen different words to describe the overall context of the last days. Of those 19 words, how many were good things? None. Not a one of them. 19. And Paul uses them to describe exactly how wicked our world is going to become before Jesus comes back again. Now, it's interesting. Uh, Paul calls them, what, what, what words does he use to describe them? These times. Perilous times. Hard. Difficult times. Uh, that particular Greek word is only used twice uh, in, the, in the New Testament here. And in Matthew, when Jesus talks about uh, the man of the Gadarenes being demon-possessed, and he calls them, uh, those demons fierce, same Greek word, para- dangerous, horrible, I mean, difficult. We can, you know, th- those are the kind of expressions uh, we think about there. But it's interesting, living, the longer we live in this world, as it gets closer to Christ, the Bible says, the more dangerous our world has become. Would you agree with that? Even in our world today, we see it already unfolding. And we know Jesus Jesus has come today. He may wait. It doesn't matter. It's going to be a very dangerous, very violent, and very difficult. Now, notice uh, in that list, what are the first two things uh, that Paul begins with in that list? What are the first two things there in verse 2? Love yourself and what else? Number two. Huh? Yeah, covet what? Riches and money. Wonder why he started with those two. Isn't that the most prevalent you see? Now think about that. They are first on the list. Now remember, again, I know he's inspired by the Spirit of God. 
But, it's, you know, that's how, you know, people are going to love themselves and they're going to love money. Now, do we see that happening today? Absolutely. And, and Paul realized that God re- re- revealed it to him, if you will. And, you know, there'll be pride and arrogance will prevail. Uh, there'll be boasting. You'll see all that happening. Uh, Paul said that people will abuse other people. Does that happen today? Sure it does. Uh, we see it more and more. And that abuse is not just physical abuse. It's verbal abuse. Uh, there's spousal abuse. We see child abuse. And, uh, you know, for the life of me, I don't see how anyone could abuse a child. But it happens every day in our world. Uh, there's abuse of the elderly. Uh, that's getting more and more commonplace. Uh, we see evil, disrespect. Uh, and we see uh, disrespectful speech uh, directed toward God. And it's becoming more and more prevalent every day of our life. And, you know, uh, and also people don't respect each other. And then Paul mentions children will be disobedient to parents. I wonder when that's going to happen. What's wrong with you, Cheryl? <laughs> yeah. Now, now, hold on, folks. Whenever we see a disobedient child, continually disobedient, whose fault is that? Why you say that? That's right. That's their responsibility. And by the way, being disobedient to our parents violates the fifth commandment because the family makes up the foundational building block of every society. And as parents and grandparents, we must never forget it's not the school's job. It's not the church's job to raise our children. Whose job is it? It's ours. It is our responsibility. Now, in a society where children disrespect their parents, does it affect the rest of society? If so, how? Oh, yeah. Well, we don't see that today, though. <laughs> you know I'm being silly, right? What did you say, Wayne? You said something as well? Yeah. It spills over into society. And that's sad. Now, you know, in the age we live in, and, and you hear it, we hear it every day on the news, of police brutality. And I'm not saying there's not. I'm sure there is, more than needs to be. But I, I, I think we need to teach our children respect the policeman, don't you? I, I think we need to tell, teach our children, uh, if a policeman says stop, do what? Stop. Obey him. You know, now again, I'm not saying the policemen are always right. Not at all. But the problem is, when, when children don't obey their parents, it does spill over to society. And like Dan already said over here, uh, it affects different areas. They don't have respect for themselves or for anyone else. Then Paul goes on to say, uh, people are unthankful. Now, by the way, how many know we're raising an unthankful generation now in our world? 
People in our society think they're entitled. Do they not? They're not grateful for what they have. Uh, I know Pam is doing the same lesson on a, on a, for a younger scale this morning, but we were talking on the way over about how people today don't want to work. They want everything given to them. And we remembered uh, when uh, Dorothy and Willard Griffiths, or good friends of ours, they went to church here. And uh, one particular time, uh, Willard worked down uh, somewhere off Montgomery Road in the Norwood area, and his car had broken down. And he hadn't, you know, there wasn't uh, Uber back then, and they lived over off of Terrace Drive over here. And uh, he walked for two or three days to work. You know why? Number one, he, his family needed it, but he had a sense of responsibility. Now, I, I just can't imagine that today. I mean, we can't, you can't get people to even do their job when they're there. But all that just spills over into society. People are unthankful. Uh, again, we live in a time uh, where people live with a spirit of entitlement. Now, i, I got to tell you, uh, <laughs> I am so thankful that I don't have to work in a public environment anymore. Uh, Pam was just telling me some things that go on where she works at. And these young people bring their cell phones in, and they're sitting and watching movies all day long. She has one co-worker who collects Barbie dolls, and she spends hours on her phone every day looking, searching, the, you know, whatever to find. And I'm thinking, what's wrong with that place? They have to see it going on, and they allow. And the sad thing is a lot of the newer, younger people, they just cannot believe they have to work when they get there. You know why? Because of how they were raised. We see disrespect. We see ingratitude. We see entitlement. And by the way, if we're a Christian, what kind of attitude should we have? Say it again. Total opposite. Everything that should be. We ought to be the most thankful, the most gracious people on earth. We should exhibit a different type of lifestyle. And, and Paul talks about all of this, but we need to have that attitude of gratitude. Paul talks about people being unholy. And, and have you ever seen a time when we see so much lack of reverence, even for God anymore? It's, it's just, un, I mean, it's just running rampant in our world. Almost nothing is held sacred anymore. Now think about that. Almost nothing in our world is sacred anymore. People are scoffing at God. Of course, the Bible says it's going to happen. And we see it everywhere around us. Uh, we see things on television, uh, brought out in public. We, we don't talk about sometimes even hardly in private. But now it's almost second nature. And then in verse 3, uh, Paul talks about those uh, who are heartless. They have no, I mean, without natural affection. Uh, they are hard-hearted. Uh, they don't have any normal human affections. <laughs> I have asked a question now. In the world we live in, what's normal anymore? I mean, think about what's going on in our world. Now, by the way, I know our world says 
there's no such thing as normal. But what, what does God's Word say about that? There is. There's a standard we need to go by. They don't have any natural human affections. Uh, Paul talked about their being self-centered. What does it mean when you're self-centered? Come on now, dear. Yeah. I mean, totally. Does that affect everybody else? Sure it does. It affects your family, your friends. It affects everyone because you are self-centered. It undermines love for your spouse, for your family. It affects every area of our life. Paul talked about those who are truth breakers. Uh, they are uh, unforgiving. Uh, they're careless of their words, if you will. Uh, it doesn't matter uh, what you, you agree to. It doesn't matter uh, what you said you would do. I mean, you could even sign a $10 million contract if you want to and decide next year you want to do what? I want more. I'll break that contract. We see it going all around in our world. Marriage anymore has become just a contract we can enter in, and if we don't like, we can break that contract. It's true in business, in politics, in spiritual matters, because the problem is we want to be able to break our commitment if it becomes difficult for us to carry it out. And Paul said that's what is going to happen. He also talks about uh, being an accuser. And by the way, that's uh, from the root word, the word Satan comes from, uh, because Satan is the one who is continually accusing men uh, before God. Uh, Paul says uh, we'll become incontinent without self-control. Uh, we won't be able to uh, control our own desires, our own appetite. Uh, we have a lack of self-restraint. And Paul says it's going to get worse and worse and worse. Uh, Paul said uh, they'll be fierce. And again, now, uh, that is a word that describes wild beasts, cruel beasts, if you will. Uh, these kind of people don't care about anything that's good. They don't delight in anything that's good. Uh, they would rather uh, delight in evil and evildoers. I find it kind of interesting in chapter 1 of Romans, Paul addresses what's going to happen as well as people uh, pursue their own lust. And Paul, in the last verse of Romans uh, chapter 1 and verse 32, he said not, not only do they realize what they're doing is wrong, they condone it. And they encourage it. Aren't you glad that's not happening in our world today? I'm being facetious, you know that. Now let me say something this morning, folks. Doesn't matter how many people encourage it. Doesn't matter how, how many other people condone it. If God's Word says something is sinful or something is wrong, it is wrong. It is wrong. In verse 4, Paul speaks about those who are traitors. What's a traitor do? What's a traitor do? Say what? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that's back to the same kind of Greek word of a betrayer. Exactly. They, they, they switch sides. They betray, if you will. Um, so people be like that. Paul talked about being heady. That means reckless and rash. And he describes uh, that as uh, the consequence of their action, if you will. Uh, it's, it's, it's horrible. It, it, it affects them. They become conceited. Uh, they think more of themselves than they ought to. Uh, Paul said you're high-minded. 
And boy, you ever know anybody like that? Uh, yeah. So thinking more of yourself than you ought to. Uh, Paul says they love pleasure more uh, than they love God. And folks, that's exactly what's going on in our nation, in our culture today, in our own countryside, our, where we live. And the same Greek word uh, for pleasure there is the word we get our word hedonism from. And what that simply means, uh, a sensual philosophy that says, you know what? Our, our, our happiness, our pleasure is how we are to live our life. Whatever makes us happy, whatever pleases us, go for it. That's hedonism. Our chief end is not to please ourselves. Our chief end is to worship and glorify God. But the world has taken and turned that around. Now, verse 5 talks about a form of godliness. What does that mean? What does that mean? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Would you agree that, would you agree they look godly on the outside or attempt to? But they don't have the power. They deny the power thereof. They don't have any inward spiritual power. And I want to tell you folks, and Dan, you're right, it's happening in a lot of churches. A lot of churches. Religious on the outside, but no inward change of heart and no allowing the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to change their lives. And Paul says we are not to associate with those kind of people who live those kind of lifestyle. All 19 of these in that list. Paul also mentions false teachers. And somehow they have a way. A way of getting a foothold in the lives of a lot of people. They are, they are able to manipulate and convince those who are not strong in the faith, those who are not strong in the Word of God. Now, let me ask you a question. Is a false teacher going to knock on your door, and when you answer, they're going to say, Hello, I am a false teacher. What do you think? Not likely, is it? Well, they believe what they're saying. Sure they do. And can a false teacher use Bible verses? Yeah. Say it again. No, come on, Dan. They wouldn't do that. But Dan, they do, and they do it in the name of Christ, don't they? At the temptation of Jesus, did he not? He quoted scriptures. And you know, false teachers are good at that. Now, what's interesting, Paul addresses that uh, because evidently he saw it happen while he was living. And uh, now, again, he, he, he uh, addresses women here, but let me kind of qualify that, okay? Uh, because women in that society, especially in a pagan society, had no religious training at all. And so they were caught up in a lot of things. And they were, you know, and so here they're, 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 they've come to Christ, and these false teachers are coming in, and they're giving, 
trying to give them other things that will bring them out of that sin or that guilt, easier things, if you will, supposedly, and they're not helping. And because these women, for the most part, have never had any religious teaching or any religious training, what they're saying sounds good. Does that happen today? I know what you're talking about, yeah. That didn't go good, did it? Yeah, he is. Yeah. But that's the world we live in today. That's the world we live. Yeah, it is. Um, you know, and, and, and by the way, I mean, a lot of these faith healers, a lot of these uh, wealth and health preachers, they can sound good. But you, you have to understand they're not teaching the whole counsel of God. And so Paul says they come in and they and they they know these women have had no training. And so they promise them peace by offering them easy <clears throat> carnal solutions. Now think about that. And I want to say in America a lot of churches are trying to offer carnal solutions. Now listen to me folks. Salvation is free. Amen? But what did Jesus say? You better count the cost. You better count your cost to live for living for God. And so Paul says, look, these false teachers, this false teaching never leads to truth. And Paul says, I don't care how sincere they are. Like you said, Cheryl, a lot of them think they're telling the truth. It doesn't matter. If it's false, it's what? It's false. It doesn't matter. Say it all you want, okay? And so Paul says the problem is, these women are always being deceived. They're never learning, and they never are able to understand the truth. Now, I don't mean to shock you this morning, but how many know there are some modern-day charlatans out there in the church? I say the church, I mean, you know, there are. And they promote a godless philosophy. Now, it's interesting, uh, Dan, you read the two names a while ago, Janice and Jambres. Who are those guys? Yeah, the Egyptian magicians, yeah. that Whenever Moses did something, guess what they did? They did the same thing. Now, by the way, kind of interesting, uh, you won't read their names in the Bible. 
in the Old Testament, but this comes from Jewish tradition. But nonetheless, it represents those two magicians that opposed Moses. Now, they were pretenders, but evidently had satanic power of some kind because they were able to, to reproduce some of the things Moses did. And again, Paul knew their name. But Paul says, I don't care what they do. Resist what they're teaching because they are false teachers. Don't follow their lies because they not only resist the truth, but they stand in direct rebellion against the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul says they have corrupt minds. They become reprobates, if you will. They followed uh, that wrong path for so long. They don't know how to come up. They don't know any different. They can't recognize and respond to the truth. And that's what the word reprobate means. It means cast away. It means to be rejected. Now, that's the first eight verses. Pretty depressing, right? Well, somebody read verse 9 one more time, please. God says what? This shall proceed no farther. Don't get depressed, folks. God is drawing a line in the sand. They will go so far, and they're not going to go any farther. Because there will come a day when their foolishness, their folly will be exposed to all. And that's why we should never give up, never stop praying for revival in our nation, praying that God would speak to the hearts of men and women. Apply it. Let's seek to share the gospel with sinners, but avoid being influenced by them. Uh, let's see here. Paul said perilous times are coming. So the question I want to ask today in discussion is, why are times difficult? When sin runs rampant. Why are times difficult when sins have free run? Absolutely. Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. But not only that. The Bible says, be sure your sins will find you out. Sin always has consequences. And those consequences are never, ever good. So number one, the last days will be difficult because of people. So number two, as believers, we're to live by God's inspired word and follow godly examples. Verses 10 through 17, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Anybody want to read that? Jesus, the last word of the Lord, 
Thank you, Alan. Now remember, Paul's writing to Timothy, a young preacher. And Paul is writing to encourage Timothy. Wonder why? Because Timothy's living in discouraging times. And Paul took the first eight verses particularly, said, Timothy, you think it's bad now. Guess what? It's going to get worse. And he gives a list of things of men and women are going to be doing as the day draws near. But then in verse 10, he said, but you, you, Timothy, I know what they're going to do, but Timothy, you know my doctrine. You know what I teach. You know how I live my life. You know my purpose, my faith. You know my long suffering. You know my charity and you know my, my patience. Timothy, you know about my persecutions. You know the afflictions I've suffered. You know what I've had to endure. But Timothy, that's not the important thing. The important thing is God's sustaining strength in my life. Timothy, he brought me through. Guess what he can do for you? He can do the same for you. And then it's kind of interesting. He talks about what happened to him in Iconium, Antioch, and Lystra. And Timothy, I want you to know something. It wasn't easy. But God delivered me out of all of them. How many know that sometimes God chooses not to keep you out of the lion's den? Sometimes he delivers you out of the lion's den. And Paul said, Timothy, through it all, I had God's sustaining presence. And then he throws a wild thing out there that a lot of your TV preachers won't tell you. He says, Timothy, you need to understand something. What I went through in persecutions and hardships, that's not the exception. What is it? It's the rule. Because, Timothy, you better write it down. If you live godly in Christ Jesus... You will suffer persecution. No doubt about it. You will suffer persecution. But Timothy, I also want to let you know, evil men will continue to try to seduce people. It's not going to get any better. It's going to get worse and worse. And they're going to continue to deceive more and more. And it's not going to stop till Jesus comes. And for the second time in verse 14, he said, but Timothy, no matter what else goes on, you. You continue in what you have learned. You continue in what you have been assured of, knowing who taught it to you. Now remember... 
Timothy's mother was a Jew. His daddy was a Greek. And guess who the first ones to teach Timothy the scriptures were? Not his dad. His grandmother and his mother. That's where it began. And then when he went to Derby, uh, I think that what was that? My, my mind, my memory is correct. That's when Timothy came on board. Uh, he was bat- or circumcised by Paul, became a, 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 a protege of Paul, if you will. And then Paul was a heavy influence in his life. And Paul says, you know, I'm not a false teacher. You know your grandmother and your mother, Eunice and Lois, they were not false teachers. You know, Timothy, we taught you the Word of God. The very Word of God. So I ask a question. The Word of God that Timothy's grandmother taught him and the Word of God that his mother taught him, was it different than the Word of God Paul taught him? No. It was exactly the same. And we always want to jump to the last few verses of this, and and a couple of my favorite verses. But in the context, Paul is saying, Timothy, you understand what you have been taught is the very Word of God. It is the very Word of God. Every verse, every word was inspired by God. And Timothy, that's why it's good for teaching. That's why it's the best thing you could ever be taught. Not some carnal way of getting better. Not some all just be a happy big family. Let's all be good people. It'll be all right. No, Timothy, you've been taught the very word of God. And Timothy, it's good for teaching. It's good to be reproved by. God's word will correct you and will show you how to live a righteous life. And the Word of God, Timothy, will make you complete. It will give you everything you need for godly works. Okay. Help me out here. So the Bible says it's going to get better real soon. No. But here's the thing. I love this. It's God's word. I know this. But you hear me say it often. It's the only book I know tells the whole truth. Nothing but the truth. God warns us. And here's what I'm convinced of. And I I have to catch myself because sometimes I find myself being shocked at what's going on in our world. But what did God say? What did he say about that? It's going to happen. He has already warned us. This is how it's going to be. So Paul is writing to a young preacher. He's writing to us. And he says, don't be shocked. Don't let it discourage you because God knows what's going on. He knows what is going on. David said, Lord, your hand is ever Upon me. You know when I stand up, you know when I sit down. You follow my path from behind and before. All my ways are like light to you. How many glad for God's word today? So thankful for, and you know, I, I can't help it. Every time I read uh, anything about the Apostle Paul, I just, I just break down. Because here's a man. Now, you know, we talk about perseverance. And 
If anybody would have had a reason to quit, who would have been? Paul. And I think about myself sometimes. You know, somebody says a, a cross word or something I don't like, and my feelings get hurt. Look what Paul went through. And the only thing that kept him going, Paul said the love of God constrained him. And he says to this young preacher, Timothy, don't give up. It's not going to get any better. It's going to get worse before Jesus comes. But Timothy, understand, you've got the word of God. And you can thrive, Timothy. You can be thoroughly furnished for every work God has called you to do. Let's stand together. Father, we're thankful today for your word. And Lord, we know what our world is caught up in and what they're trying to convince us is okay. We know it's not. I pray, Father, that we would take a stand. Paul addressed them, but now he says you. That's us, Lord. Help us to follow godly instruction. Help us to seek your truth, to follow your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.